0: lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am
1: everyone thanks so much for listening if you enjoy this podcast it would really help us out if you could write a review wherever you listen share it with a friend and give it a star rating and click follow or subscribe in whatever app you
2: listen in all that really helps us out and also if you are not following us on instagram and facebook you can follow along at beautiful shifts underscore podcast and that's where we share our current and upcoming episodes photos of our guests and other fun content so thank you yep thanks
1: All right, welcome to the podcast today. Today we have Nelson Lee with us. Welcome, Nelson.
3: Hello, thanks for having hey, me. Really glad to good be to here.
1: Good to have you. Um so I know Nelson because he actually taught my son Luke guitar lessons a few years back. And I was trying to think, that was actually because he's in ninth grade now. He's 15. So and you I think he's only like 10 when you started with him. So he loved taking from Nelson. It was a really good experience. And but then Nelson left and it was just never quite the same without. (laughs) So he was the best. Yeah. Yeah. It was great, but moving on to do good things. So anyway, um, and then since then I've kind of been following what he's doing and excited. I've actually mentioned him a few times, right. Throughout this, um, past few months that we've been doing the podcast, I've been like, it'd be great to have Nelson on. So anyway, we're glad you're with us. And yeah, yes. (laughs) Chantel is going to read your bio. So
2: all right, after overcoming a decade long struggle with OCD and anxiety, Nelson has dedicated himself to help others heal. He's doing so by obtaining a clinical mental health counseling degree from the Townsend Institute at Concordia University, Irvine. As a therapist intern, Nelson enjoys helping clients heal by opening up their capacity for choice in the face of hardship and discomfort. His overall goal when working with clients is to help them be themselves and put their time and energy into the things that matter most to them. In doing so, he helps people learn new skills, embrace uncertainty, and live with purpose. Informed by his own journey working on his mental health, Nelson enjoys helping his clients discover who they are and the value they bring to the world. He loves helping people rise above their challenges and then proactively maintain long-term healing and growth. He believes it's never too late or too early to improve your mental health, and he works to incorporate both empathy and accountability into the therapeutic relationship. When he's not working with clients or completing schoolwork, Nelson can be found building relationships with family and friends and spending time outdoors, where he enjoys biking, rock climbing, and skiing. So I bet you've had a fun ski season, or have you had time to go skiing with all your schoolwork yeah, uh, and stuff?
3: It it's been a little mixed, but it has been an incredible ski season. I've had some days that are phenomenal. Yeah, it's been yeah, our winter's been really crazy. Yeah,
2: it's been pretty yeah, yeah. insane. And it's still I think it's supposed to snow today and tomorrow, and it's you know uh, towards the end of April, so it's crazy. yeah, <laughs> totally yes.
1: All right. Well, the transition summary that, um, we have for him of what we're going to be talking about today is overcoming anxiety and OCD by learning to embrace uncertainty and live a life centered on values rather than fear, which I, I love, love how that. you put that. Yeah. It was really, really good. So, um, yeah, we thought it would be fun to hear a little background, um, of maybe like something that stands out in your growing up years, to help us get to know you a little bit better.
3: Totally. Um, So to start out with kind of growing up, um, I had a pretty normal childhood, I feel like. I grew up in Draper, Utah. Um, It was just a farm town when I was there. It's blown up since then. It's been, what, I don't know, 30 years since I I moved to Draper. Um, But anyway, so by all standards, I had a very basic, just like what I would call a normal childhood. There were a couple little things when I was younger um, that maybe pointed in the direction of struggling with anxiety, that kind of stuff. And in the beginning, it was stuff just like, I used to like to count my steps in sidewalk squares. Like, it felt weird if they were odd, things like that. I didn't want to step on a crack. Um, but it didn't get to an extreme level, nothing like that. And then it kind of faded away as I got older and I went to middle school. I went to high school and I had a very normal kind of social life. I mean, I was definitely on the shy side in the beginning, like in middle school. But I again, I just came out of my shell in high school. Things seemed totally normal. Um... And it wasn't until I was 19 that I had my first panic attack. And it just kind of came out of the blue. Um, and I remember just thinking, like, man, like that was such a bizarre experience. And, and I will say, at the time, if, for people who have had a full-blown panic attack, the first time you have it, it's, it's pretty scary. It feels like you're having a heart attack. It feels like, like you could die in that moment. You don't know what's happening. Um, but anyway, basically, kind of where I want to go with this is, like I thought my childhood was normal. But it was mostly just because I wasn't aware of the things that I was doing. And so there were things that I was doing all through growing up, just these kind of ways of handling discomfort, handling uncertainty, that weren't necessarily healthy, that were kind of setting me up for this moment that happened later that really triggered some serious anxiety and more of kind of that OCD stuff um, that came out when I was in my early 20s. And, And I think that's just important because a lot of times like we look at the event that um, kind of triggers whatever it is that we're struggling with. And we're like, that's the thing. Like the event is the thing. And for me, it was for a long time. I was like the panic attack, that is when it all started. But really I was laying the groundwork for that all through my upbringing. And it was just trying to control things that I couldn't control, avoiding feelings and things that made me feel uncomfortable. So if I did feel anxiety when I was younger, I think I just pushed it away. I just suppressed it. I pushed it down and I didn't even know that's what I was doing. And so it was really helpful for me to kind of like, once I started learning more about how anxiety works, and especially kind of the different patterns in our heads, learning that I was actually the one doing these little actions that I didn't even know were kind of setting me up for this struggle later. And so, yeah, that's kind of like where I land with like just quick upbringing stuff. Yeah,
1: interesting. And so, yeah, you were kind of like in young adulthood. And you told us earlier when we were talking that, you know, you had, you got your undergrad and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your education background. Cause I think it's interesting, like how that's led you to where you are now.
3: Yeah, it, it has been a journey. So, um, I did not know what I wanted to do, um, in high school or even in college, I was just kind of like wandering around, trying all kinds of majors. I burned through, I don't even know, probably like five different majors and eventually landed on communications. Um, liked it, and then decided to just kind of go get a job afterwards and didn't love the job opportunities that were available just with an undergraduate degree. Um, And I'll add this. At the time, I was teaching guitar, and that was a phenomenal thing for me to do. I absolutely loved teaching guitar and did that for, I don't know, I think it was almost 10 years Mm -hmm. Um, because I did that all through college and then for a little bit after I worked as a partner at the guitar studio. Um, But anyway, so back to kind of like the academic side of it. All the while, I'm doing my undergrad, I finish that, and then I'm like, all right, I don't love the job opportunities out here. I'm going to go get an MBA. And so I got an MBA and just went and jumped into the corporate world right after that. And it was just really interesting because I just didn't love what I was doing. And it was interesting to compare it back to teaching guitar because I loved that connection so much of just like being able to be with someone in a room. And teach and learn and just like connect on that level, it was so different than being behind a computer all day. And I really liked what I was doing business-wise, but it just didn't have that same flavor and that sense of fulfillment. And so that's what slowly started kind of like giving me, I don't know, hints of like, I think I might need to make a change. And I also was just learning more and more and more about my mental health as I was going on. Because through that entire process of going through school, I was figuring out of this struggle with anxiety and ocd and i was i was learning more and it was it had some serious ups and downs for a long time where it's like i would go get help um and i would maybe learn like a thing or two that was helpful um but i i would say like the vast majority of my recovery journey in terms of just like getting better it was very messy and i remember going to a lot of different counselors and there were some who straight up just said like this is something you're going to have to manage i don't know if this is really going to get much better like you can try medication But outside of that, like, just kind of see what you can do to get by. That's kind of hard Um, to hear. Yeah. Like, thanks a lot. Oh, it was. (laughs) And and I was like, at the time, I was like, I don't even believe that. Like, I I can't settle for that. There is no way. Um, And so, yeah, like, it was all just like this very jumbled process of school, figuring that out, and kind of figuring out career path. And slowly, it just kind of took me in this direction of learning about my own mental health. And then now getting to a point where... That's what I'm actively pursuing. So right now I am in school. Um, before getting into school, I was doing coaching and I actually still am doing that. So that's what, how I first kind of got my taste was I, uh, I just started posting things that I had learned along the way on social media. And then I started having people ask me about it. And then people asked me, oh, are you doing coaching? And I was like, why not? Let's try. Mm-hmm. I've learned these skills. I can teach them. Um, and so I just jumped in. And so I started with coaching and that was when I really started to know, at least career wise, that this was going to be a good move. And that I needed to go more towards mental health stuff.
0: Yeah,
2: that's awesome. And yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I think the personal part of it is huge that you know how, you know, what it feels like to have OCD and anxiety, and then to know how it feels to have someone say, ah, you might just have to deal with it, and not being okay with that answer, and then wanting to connect with people and help people. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And to be able to give people advice that are going through it and that you've been through that, like, I just think that's so valuable to people, I'm sure that's really cool and that's around the time I started following you I think on your account was you know you were going because I remember thinking oh is he coaching or is he a therapist but I think so it's kind of cool I've kind of from a distance like seen you know you and all your videos like I've always thought they were really great so um yeah and interestingly enough like I graduated in communications too and I'm kind of on the similar path where I've yeah you know that when he said it's that like one. I'm like oh wow I relate to this so much because I did you know the business world and I And I liked communications. Like, there's a lot I like about it, connecting with people and and things. But now I'm also considering going back and getting either a master's of social work or mental health counseling as well. So, yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, Very interesting to kind of see that that comparison. I know, I know. And it's interesting that communications, that degree is somewhat related. Yeah, because you're
1: working with people. I remember thinking that's part of why I chose it, is I was like, and I did, um, I don't know, my undergrad was in human development. So, I've always loved that, but... It's just interesting learning about how the brain works and, and everything, but, um, all right, well back to your story. So I was thinking about like, I don't know if you would mind sharing. So how does some of the like intrusive thoughts and the OCD, like, how does that pop up in your life? Um, and how were you able to tell like, okay, these aren't healthy patterns and, you know, and then, and then taking that to your therapist, like, how did you begin to work through that to the point, you know, where you are now?
3: Yeah. So... That that really is such a huge piece of the journey was just learning the basic patterns, um, and and like I said, there were a lot of therapists that I saw initially who like they couldn't pick out the patterns themselves, um, and so I remember going through just just a period of time where I was like I, I don't necessarily know what is going to help, um, but I just kept looking, kept looking. Um, eventually, I found um, a place called the Anxiety. It's the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center, um, and they were. The first place that actually started to get me along the right path, um, and so they they basically taught me a little bit about um, just how like when we avoid anxiety, that's really kind of what creates a lot of the issues for us. Um, but they they're also very exposure heavy. So anyone in the OCD world, you'll hear about exposure and response prevention, and it's it's kind of known as the gold standard of treatment for OCD. And and I think for good reason it is because basically you're exposing yourself to the thing that you're afraid of and then you're allowing that anxiety to pass through you. Um, and that has a lot of value. What can be interesting with it, though, is, is especially for me in my case, the exposures actually started to become the compulsion, which in OCD, like the compulsion is the thing that you're doing that is unhealthy. And so it's anything you're doing to really control, check on or change a feeling that you're having. It's like I'm having something that's uncomfortable. And I want to do something to get rid of it. And I started to understand, like, oh, if I do exposures, it'll burn it out. It'll literally burn out my anxiety. But what it did was it made it so I was reliant on exposures. And that wasn't necessarily a healthy place to be. And so from them, I kind of learned, like, that general concept of, like, okay, I can sit through anxiety. But I kind of developed this unhealthy relationship with, like, still trying to get rid of it. But through the, like, therapy stuff that they were teaching me, which was odd. (laughs) Um, But... I, I basically was like, okay, there's got to be a better way here. Um, and so I kept looking, kept looking, and eventually I found it was actually a coach online. His name's Mark Freeman. I highly encourage anyone who struggles with anxiety, OCD, to go look him up. He's incredible. Um, but he just talks a lot about what's called acceptance and commitment therapy. And that's just the set of skills that we can all learn. To start interacting with our thoughts and our emotions in a different way and my favorite part about it is that it is value focused so I feel like exposure and response prevention was very much like still focused on okay how can I work through the anxiety the difference when I found this coach was this pivot of instead of focusing on the anxiety and like kind of like getting myself to a place where I'm not feeling it it was more about what do I want to do with my life and how can I support myself in doing that and what are the skills I can learn and so A classic skill like number one was mindfulness and I remember first reading about mindfulness which is really just like the ability to be present and to to kind of like drop out of your head and even just like notice what's happening in your body like what is going on right now what sensations am I feeling and I can even use that in the back of my mind to notice like what thoughts am I getting what am I doing with my thoughts Um, and I remember when I first read about it I was like I don't think my brain can do that I don't think I am capable of dropping out of that and just like watching things go by because I was so used to like when I would get a thought like I would just chase it. And it's like especially if it was a thought that was that was a little bit distressing, I would just chase it and want to control it and get rid of it. And I feel like that's such a common theme with anxiety and OCD is we get these intrusive thoughts that we don't like, and a lot of times they can be like pretty morbid thoughts. They're thoughts that people generally don't love having, but the effort extended to get rid of them is what actually creates the feedback loop that brings them back. Because every time I pushed away an intrusive thought that I didn't like, it told my brain and my nervous system that that thought was a threat and I need to be on the lookout for it to come again yeah, and inevitably it hits again yeah so is
1: it kind of because like you're thinking about the thing that you're not trying to think about is that kind of what i said don't think of a pink elephant yeah that's what i was just thinking so it keeps coming back because because you're like focused on okay i can't think about this so so that makes sense of why the mindfulness would actually be more of the yeah the cure for that so or maybe not cure but like like the coping mechanism in the moment
3: Totally. Okay. And, and it just totally changes the, the relationship with the thoughts. It's like no longer is the thought a bad thing. Yeah. It's like that's one of the biggest things with mindfulness is this principle of acceptance. Yeah. Can I allow it to just be a thought and let it come through? It's like the the example that I give um, a lot of times with clients now is, is kind of relating our thoughts and our emotions to our other five senses, right? So we've got our five senses. We can see, we can smell, we can taste all this stuff. Um, but we don't often judge the things that we're taking in with our five senses as meaning something about us. For example, if I'm walking down the street and there's a really stinky dumpster, I don't walk past that dumpster and go like, oh my gosh, like I'm a stink. Like I'm carrying this stink <laughs> now with me for the rest of my day. But a lot of times we do that with our thoughts. Where if I get a thought that I don't like, I get a thought that's even like something about myself. Maybe I do poorly on a test or, you know, I... I struggle on something at work and I get the thought like, oh, I'm a failure. A lot of times like that will trigger a feeling within me and I'll resonate with it and be like, oh, it must be true. Mm. And I start telling that story. But we don't do that with our five senses. And so one of the the pieces of mindfulness that was so helpful is just this separation. Can I separate myself from my thoughts and my emotions? There are things that I'm experiencing, but they are not me. If that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like how you're putting everything. It makes it just make more sense and separating those things because it's yeah. easy to get in a loop or a yeah. habit of those things.
1: Do you find that like your nervous system is tied to it a lot? Because, um, I think sometimes it's like, um, overstimulation or, um, or like, like you're just saying that the thoughts, but like, is there something about calming, like, is the mindfulness calming your, your nervous system so that then you can like center yourself? Is that, I mean, do you feel like that's related somehow?
3: So it's really interesting because that can be kind of a secondary byproduct. But again, it's like, like, what is my relationship like with the discomfort? Because if I'm using mindfulness as a tool, again, to get rid of the anxiety, I still have that unhealthy relationship. Yeah, and it's going to come
1: back. That's true because you can't just like totally Mm -hmm. disassociate from the thought because it's gonna come back also. So you're saying it's more like an acceptance of it and then the byproduct will be that your nervous system is calmed and Yeah, and even uh, like
2: you are saying in your transition yeah. summary, like the fear of the anxiety, it's almost like living in fear that it's gonna come, it's gonna come, and then when it comes, you wanna get rid of it. But if you turn it into like, not fearing it, but acceptance of it, then it, like, I don't know, it would just like calm it down or like, seem yeah. like it's yeah. not so big.
1: Well, yeah. And I love yeah. how you explained, like, just cause you have that thought doesn't mean that that's you. I mean, or, or, yeah, or even true. true. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that too. A lot. Like, like, don't just assume that the thoughts or even like the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, like I hear that a lot too. Yeah. I think Brene Brown is big on that. Like mm-hmm. watch the stories that you tell yeah. yourself because they're not always true or the stories that you're making up about the people around you of like what they think about you or, yeah. <laughs> or whatever, like our minds can go crazy with that kind of stuff. So Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
3: yeah. And, and along those lines, like, I feel like with OCD, there's always a story. Mm. It's, and it's always in the future. It's, I'm avoiding this bad thing that's going to happen. And I'm kind of like, it's almost like your brain gets very formulaic in terms of, like, if X happens, then Y happens. It's like, if this happens, no matter what, this thing is going to happen. And it gets very fixated on worst-case scenario stuff. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting to look at, okay, what is that story that's basically being told within my head? And how am I attaching myself to it? Because a lot of times that story will get told and we'll inadvertently attach ourselves to it and we'll live it out. And so um, with that, it's just so helpful to notice like, okay, what is it that's actually hitting here? Like, and and what is it really? Oh, it's actually just a thought. A thought can just be a thought. And that's totally okay. And once I can get to a place where I can notice that, I can stop the story and just be like, okay, what's actually real for me right now? And the present is what's real. And so... I I think that's also been just like a huge piece of like noticing, okay, what are like the the basic stories that I'm telling myself about myself and how am I living those out? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you, do you find that perfectionism is linked to this a lot or is that, I mean, sometimes yeah. Or is that kind of a separate thing?
3: It definitely can be. Um, And I think it's different for different people. Um, For me, I definitely noticed some perfectionism, which perfectionism is just one of the manifestations of shame. And Mm. so it's like, I'm going to hustle my way out of feeling unworthy. I'm going to, you know, basically make sure that I'm doing everything totally dialed in so that, you know, no one can see my flaws, that kind of a thing. Um, And I think that shame does play a really big role in anxiety and OCD, um, just because it is one of those heavier negative emotions. And I think it is often like very much a trigger of anxiety, especially around thoughts. Like we'll get thoughts that we don't like and even like thoughts that, you know, people would just like frown upon. It's like, oh, like I'm having like these awful thoughts about like people, about myself. Um, And all of a sudden we feel the shame of like, it means this thing about me. It means that I'm a bad person at my core. And a lot of times that's what OCD really goes after. It goes after like your core self. And it's like, man, I have to prove that I am not this bad thing. And that's where all the compulsions come in. It's like, I'm doing all these things. I'm exerting so much effort trying to prove to myself and others that I'm not bad, that I'm okay. And that can manifest like from, or or just in all kinds of themes. I mean, that can go from like contamination stuff. A lot of times contamination where it's like, if people are afraid of, you know, germs and things like that. A lot of times the deeper fear isn't just like getting sick. It's like, I'm afraid I'm going to get somebody else sick. I'm afraid that, you know, I'm going to be held responsible. And then again, it's like, it's back to me being bad. Even something as simple as like hand-washing can be tied back to that. And then the same thing goes for OCD around, I mean, people will get it around their sexuality. They'll get it around just like, oh, I'm worried that like I'm going to harm somebody. I'm worried that, you know, I'm just going to do something that is far outside of my value system. And that's kind of what it tends to target because that's where like we want to feel secure. We want to feel secure in who we are but we just kind of have this roundabout way of doing it that isn't necessarily healthy when we are stuck in OCD. So a lot of times it comes down to how can I create that healthy relationship with yeah, myself? Yeah,
2: it's interesting. Like you, It seems like a lot of what you're saying is like future stuff. You're afraid of something that's going to happen. And I think we do tell ourselves like worst case scenarios. And I've always heard this saying, and I think for the most part it really is true, like you think the the worst is not like what you're thinking is far worse than what will really happen or what could happen. Um, but we let our brains go there. And I, I find myself like, almost like OCD in a way of like, okay, if I think it will happen, then it won't. Like when I was younger, we had a house burn down in our neighborhood. And so I was so scared our house would burn down. And I would always say, okay, if I think our house will burn down, it won't. Because what is the the chance of that happening is so low if I think it, so I have to think it. And so sometimes I'd be almost home. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about thinking our house burning down it's probably burnt down. And I would like, oh. but it's always this future thing yeah, that I, or this like thing that, and I thought I, it's like, okay, what made me think I had control over anything, but I felt like I had the control. Like it would be my fault if our house burned down because I forgot to think that day that it might, I don't, I, I don't know, but I, mm. I've I never know, like a
1: superstition. Yeah. Superstition thing. A little but I got bit, so yeah.
2: obsessed with it that I, I find myself doing that now. Like my son hurt his shoulder and I'm like, Oh my gosh, if I just would have thought that, Oh, he's going to get hurt in baseball season this year then he wouldn't get hurt. So I still do it as like a grown adult. And I know it's not true. I know it's not, doesn't it's not even logical. Like the fact, even if I would have thought it, I wouldn't think, yep, it's my fault because yeah. I thought it. Like, there might just... be like
1: something comforting and thinking yeah. I'm going to think of the worst case scenario because then yes. I'm protecting myself because then if that happens to happen, I've already thought it through. Yeah. You know what I mean? I found but then... myself like
2: blaming <laughs> yeah. the fact that he got hurt because I forgot to think he might get hurt.
1: Oh, sad. I, know. I don't
2: know <laughs> why. Oh. But it started when I was really young and I, Find myself doing it now, and I actually have a therapist, and she was like, "Yeah, we got to get rid of that pattern because you mm. like. There's kind of two sides of it. Like one, like what makes you think you have control over anything? It's the acceptance that you don't, and the acceptance that like you can't blame yourself if something happens. I mean, it, there's all these things. That's to it, interesting. But,
1: I bet it almost is like it created a pattern. I did. Like when yeah, I was young. when and you it was were all young, all about the
2: house burning down, but then mm-hmm. I put it into all these other into things. other
1: things. Yeah, yeah, and I always yeah. think that
2: somehow. Yeah. I'll even any, a lot of things, I'll still do it. And I try so hard not to, because that's so interesting. I hadn't ever really like gone there until I talked to my therapist about it mm. one day. And she's like, okay, so this is interesting. <laughs> like, okay, let's talk yeah. through this. But it, yeah. yeah, but I've gotten in the pattern of doing it. And so I almost sometimes don't even think and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I did it again just this week with my son's shoulder. If I would have mm. thought that, oh, you know what? He's going to get hurt this season. And he's going to be out. Then he wouldn't have gotten hurt. But anyway, yeah, that's we do crazy things in our minds. Like we... Yeah. You know it's crazy, and the, and I if I stop to think about it, of course I'm like, no, that is not why. Yeah, because you logically hurt. know that yeah. that's not the case, but no. it's like
1: almost subconscious, probably mm-hmm. at this point. Like it just is there, mm-hmm. and yeah. So is that the kind of stuff like you can work with people on, and and kind of finding those thoughts and weeding those things out, and maybe analyzing them? You know. <laughs>
3: Totally. Um, and, and it's so interesting to kind of hear this experience that you've had yeah. because look at what it's targeted at. Like your family and the house burning down, your son. These are two things you care about deeply. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like it's targeted at I like your brain is like I really want to be able to control this so badly that I'm gonna to go to this length to try to yeah. control it. Even if it's just like totally irrational. It's totally
2: irrational. <laughs> but I do. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I even it'll be validating sometimes, but but the thing is with the house burning down, the chances of our house burning down were so low, like, mm-hmm. but it was validating because every time I got home, our house wasn't burned down. So I'm like, okay, it's working. Mm-hmm. Like as a mm-hmm. seven year old, I had like, yeah. like, like a comfort thing. Yeah. Else. I had trained yeah. myself to believe that it, it was working
3: mm-hmm. because it never burnt down. And you, and you just illustrated like the most amazing point with that <laughs> is like compulsions do work mm-hmm. for the short term. Yeah. Oh. Like notice you had to do it every single day. Yeah. And so. That's the thing. Every time that I, I did push away a thought or I pushed away a feeling back when I was younger and even in my 20s when I was really struggling, it worked for a short period of time. It was like, oh, it's gone. And my brain is like, let's celebrate. Like, we solved the problem. We feel so good about it. Yeah. And until it comes again. And then next time it comes again, it's almost like that mechanism has been reinforced because I pushed it away and because I got the reward for it. And so it's like, okay, now I need to do, I almost need to up the ante to basically make sure that I'm really solving it now. And that was totally something I saw in myself, where it was like my efforts to control thoughts, feelings, and all kinds of things, like it was just upping, and the amount of energy that I was putting into it just increased, increased, increased. And a lot of times that was just mental stuff. A lot of people will have physical compulsions where they are hand-washing, they're checking door locks... Um, I've had a little bit of that, but most of my stuff was all in my head Yeah, and it was like, it was the worrying. It was like, I'm just going to worry if I think about this enough, I can solve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes my brain would solve it, but again, it would solve it until it threw the next what if at me. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was that much more intense.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I was just thinking about how, like how much mental energy it requires, you know, and, I think people maybe listening that haven't um, experienced, I think everyone has in some way, like, like we've all had those things, but you can imagine then if you have an actual, I I don't know. Do you work with mostly people that have actual diagnoses for OCD and anxiety, or is it that they have these like Like tendencies? tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. Or both.
3: I would say both. Okay. Yeah. I'm all along the spectrum. So I've, I've worked with clients who they're at the extreme end, like their their life is kind of being like boxed in by OCD and anxiety. I've also worked with clients where they're just working on kind of like some stuff that's showing up in relationships. And I feel like that's also a really common area where just OCD tendencies that aren't quite like at a clinical diagnosis will show up. Mm. They always, I feel like they tend to show up in relationships. And if someone tries to start a business, those are the two areas where it's like, we feel like we're very much at risk. Um, And I I see a lot of stuff with those. So they kind of like
1: obsess about things within their relationship, like like with their partner or, or like overanalyzing is it kind of like that
3: So it can be it can be anything across that kind of spectrum of things so i mean a, a classic thing is like if someone is really anxious about their relationship they'll start doing things to check on the relationship and it's like i need to check and make sure my partner loves me i need to just make sure and so whether that's direct reassurance so they're actually asking the partner regularly like hey i just need you to i just need you to tell me like can you can you just like flat out tell me, like, how much you care about me, that kind of stuff. Um, Or maybe they'll feel uncomfortable with that, so they'll try to kind of, like, manipulate it out. And I I feel like that's a really interesting piece of OCD is it can be very manipulative because... And that's also driven by the shame where it's like, I don't feel comfortable that I want this reassurance, but I'm still going to try to get it. Mm -hmm. And I I saw that in myself with just, like, trying to get someone to tell me I was going to be okay. Mm. Like, back in the day when I was trying to recover. But anyway, back to the relationship stuff, it can totally come if people are more anxious and they're trying to get that reassurance and they're going through roundabout ways of like either directly asking or like maybe maybe it gets to the extreme of like they're actually checking their partner's phone. Maybe they're, they're checking on this thing. They're checking their location. They're checking all kinds of things. And it's helpful to notice that these compulsive behaviors, they're often founded in checking, controlling, or avoiding things. And Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing with the relationships because you have like the anxious side where people are more like, okay, I feel like I need to check and make sure. But then you have people who are a little bit more avoidant and their fear is the opposite. Their fear is getting too close. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing more like avoidant behaviors where it's like all of a sudden they'll start to get more closely connected to someone and they'll pull away. Yeah. And it's like, this feels dangerous. I need to check and make sure I'm Okay. And I'm going to avoid kind of like this connecting experience because it's making me feel uneasy. That, those like two together, would when not I'm vulnerable, be the best. I'm at risk.
2: Relationship,
1: yeah, like two extremes, a little mm-hmm. bit, yeah, that yeah.
3: Would be hard. Yep. So totally, and that gets into like attachment stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have read the book Attached. Uh, it's an amazing book on attachment theory, but it's very much oh, rooted yeah. in kind of these behaviors. Oh yes,
1: okay. I need to write that down because I've been hearing more about attachment theory. I think it's yeah. super interesting.
2: I know, and actually, my mom she got a degree just like undergrad psychology, and then she worked at a place where they kind of focused on the whole attachment thing. It was super. Oh interesting. really? Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. um No, and no, I'm like, wow. I I know I'm thinking about all these. Like, whew.
2: what else do I do? Yeah, hear that's...
1: yeah. But I was just thinking, like, how mentally exhausting. If someone is kind kind of falling into this pattern, it's probably it's like taking over your life. Because you know, I have days where I'm like that, but I can usually separate myself from it. I mean, I think I probably have a little underlying anxiety, and you know, working through. It. I have a therapist as well. So, <laughs> but like. Um, I feel bad, you know, there's people out there who it really is like overtaking their lives. And, and like you said, um, it probably goes a a lot of different levels. So I think that's why it's so important and so neat that we have, like, it's just getting talked about more, you know, and, and normalizing it so that people don't feel alone and, like think how, I mean, it could be so healing just to be able to talk to someone, like even the things that you're saying, I'm like, Oh, I hope like so many the people just need to hear this because it can make right. them feel like, Oh, okay. So there are people like that, that like me that fall into these different things and that's okay. Yeah. Like that's a common, you know, what do you call it? Like a mindset trap or something. Um, but yeah, anyways, thinking about,
2: I know I, for me, I feel like my thing, like, I don't even notice I'm doing it because it's such a habit and I don't mm-hmm. think it causes me like it's very short term, like wow, shoot! I should have thought that. Now this happened, and then I just kind of, almost know it's not true, but then it makes me think, wow, I I literally just did it when I thought I was working on not doing it, it and it's just like this mm-hmm. habit, like subconsciously, almost like okay, well, that stings. Sorry, Coleman, I didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't think about you hurting your shoulder. And yeah. <laughs> oh no, yeah no, th-
3: And and that is what makes these patterns so hard to break. Yeah. is a I mean, lot of times, time, especially if we've grown yeah. up. Yeah,
2: that's a long yeah.
1: time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: They become automatic yeah. and, and breaking that automatic cycle is a real challenge. And that's where, like for me, that mindfulness tool is so helpful. Mm, like, yeah. can I be aware enough to notice when one of these things pops in? And can I even be aware to notice like, oh, I just did the thing. I just did the compulsion. I just did yeah, that's, that action that isn't super good for yeah, me. Yeah,
2: that's exactly what my therapist said to do. She's like, you need to be more aware of it. Say, you know, you don't have control over this and accept you don't and try to help like healthier habits of how i think about.
1: Yeah, things. i just thought i can't remember where i heard this but that saying like if you name it you can tame it. Like, yeah. you know, so if you if you recognize can recognize it, it mm-hmm. and they always say like with almost anything in life, especially if you're working on mental health stuff, if you can recognize it that's the first step, right? Yeah. So this yep. seems like you're on a good path with that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah awareness great... is huge. Yeah. That's awesome yeah. to hear about. Yeah,
2: it's so interesting. Yeah, and it's funny cuz i was kind of going back to your um, guitar thing, I was just reading in a book about different transitions in life and they studied like hundreds of people across the board, all different, like kind of like we talk about in our podcast, the voluntary and the involuntary ones. And so much of how people got through a transition or kind of the aftermath of one um, was creativity. So whether Mm. it was music or art or, and and then nature was the other one. So I think it's interesting that you enjoy being outdoors as well as the guitar and how those things Um, I'm sure like you didn't really mention those yet, but I imagine those things being outdoors also help with your mental health and your, you know, say OCD and anxiety as well as, and I love how the guitar turned back to weight. I don't want to not work with people. Like I want to connect with someone Mm -hmm. in a different way than you can when you're just working in an
3: office or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I think like one of the points that you bring up too, is just like, it's so powerful because that's, for me, that was the biggest pivot that I needed was pivoting to like that values perspective. And for me, that's, like, what are the things that are going to bring joy, satisfaction, and just, like, meaning to my own life, regardless of my circumstances? And that is what took the focus off of the anxiety and on to, like, actually building something. Um, and for me, that was, that was what unlocked all of It's, like, I'm using these skills not just to, like, tame my anxiety and work on that. But it's, like, no, I actually want my life to look like something. And I want to build something that is very, like, unique to myself. And putting my focus into that did more for me than any of the skills. The skills were just like the facilitator for doing that. Hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Interesting. I love that. I mean, I love the, just the contrast of values and fear. Cause I think a lot of us, most things we act on fear, we, you know, think through fear. And so if we can turn that to the opposite of think on our values, act on our values, that's huge. So I love that.
1: Yeah. 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 I was going to ask how you, Like, well, maybe we don't want to jump to that, but I was just curious what you do with music now. Like, is it kind of a hobby thing? I mean, yeah. How is it in your life now?
3: So, I mean, I've always been a music junkie in terms of just listening to music. I absolutely love um, just like keeping up with bands and like concerts occasionally, that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't been playing music as much as I would like just because so, I've been so busy. Yeah, occasionally, yeah. occasionally, I'll pick it up and I'll be like, man, I missed this. Yeah, and so, you'll get that um, to there, yeah.
1: <laughs> more time. That time will come back. Mm-hmm. and
3: But I, I do just, I have a soft spot for it. I, I went and visited the old studio that I used to work at mm-hmm. just this last week. And I'm just like, man, like this place, like it really is kind of the foundation of where I started to discover the just what I like to do Mm. and, and who I am as a person. And so I, I will always have that soft spot for music. And it's my plan. Like as soon as I'm done with kind of the craziness of school and all that stuff, like I want that to be a bigger part of my life moving forward.
1: That's cool. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And you were great with, um, you know, Luke at the time, like I said, he was like 10 or 11. And so I can see you being a really awesome, um, therapist for just like any age though. Cause obviously, you know, you're talking with, I mean, I think you can relate well to younger kids and, and adults and everything. So I think it will be a great fit.
2: Yeah. So how much schooling do you have left?
3: So I'm almost done. Oh, I finish sweet. in August. Ooh, oh, wow. so
2: that's perfect.
3: So we are right there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's exciting. So yeah. I've got one more class that starts in July. I'll finish that class. And then it's just getting my internship hours. Cause yeah, oh, I'm, I am working as a therapist intern right now. Um, and that's most of what the second year of my program is, mm. is you're just working. So you're working under a supervisor, and so I just see clients. Right.
1: So you're like a clinic right now?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yep. And what's yeah, your... So I work at a couple. Do you know what you're going to do after you graduate as far as like get on with the clinic? Are you going to go out on your own or...
3: Um, so eventually the plan is to go out on, on my own, but I mean, who knows also, like I'm kind of just keeping an open mind because um, if I find the right clinic, which I mean, there are two that I'm at right now and that both of them are solid options um one's called therapy utah um it's down in lehigh there's another one in sandy called origins therapy and they're both pretty solid places to be at um so i imagine i'll i'll stay on um with one or both of them while i get my hours because after okay. you graduate you still have to get hours you have to take a licensing exam right um and then once you're licensed that's when you can go out on your own sure okay And so going out on my own is kind of like down the road at some point until then i'm just kind of happy working somewhere and then i'll keep doing my my coaching stuff on on the side on my own as well and it'll be interesting cool. to kind of see how that changes and pivots but yeah, yeah the the career tra- trajectory i think is is going to be interesting it's going to be fun yeah it's exciting yeah, i you. know that's
1: yeah. a cool thing i feel like there's a lot you can do with it and yeah and there's i mean so many opportunities i feel like there's a big need yeah <laughs> there's a need for it um it seems so that's yeah, awesome. Totally. Well, yeah.
3: And it's just cool to see the the community embracing it more. Because like one thing I I would like to get more involved in is like doing trainings, whether it's at workplaces or just like other communities, schools, things like that. Um, I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing that. Like I've done a couple of presentations down at like BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a little OCD club, and I've gone and talked to them and and doing stuff like that in the community where you're kind of working with a bunch of people rather than just one. Like I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because you can just You can just spread useful information to to so many more people at once.
2: Yeah. And we've talked a lot about that, that we feel like it's so much better than when we were like in school, that they talk about it way more, like at the elementary level and all the way up through high school, they talk about anxiety and depression and all these things so that kids can learn like coping mechanisms and, and almost knowing that they're not, it's not abnormal. It's not, you're not crazy. You know, you can feel like, okay, like this is a normal thing that people go through. There's tools that can help me, you know, get through it and. I don't know. And then I think even having a therapist is not is weird, you know, we're not like, yeah. like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to tell anybody that I have a therapist or whatever, but now it makes it so much easier yeah. for people to get help and not feel shame getting help or like even acknowledging to themselves. Okay. I need to, to help yeah. get help. So. I saw
1: a funny thing the other day online. It was like, and I don't know, like we're not in the dating world, obviously, but it was like, if you're looking at someone's dating profile, if like, if they don't have a therapist, that should be a red flag. Not if, the, not that they do, you know, <laughs> cause you want them to be uh-huh. working through those things cause everyone has stuff, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I love that. That's like, funny. That's awesome. which is actually true. You think about it, like you want to be, someone's I mean, working not that it has to be about stuff. that, like just for their own selves too, but I can't remember where I saw it or what, that's but funny. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's so
3: true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, it, it's so great to see that it, it's becoming just more and more embraced socially and and that's the thing is like i still go to therapy from time to time and it's just like for me it's it's just helpful like there are deeper things that i'm still working on and that's the thing is like this is a lifelong process Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times we we get this idea of like oh man like once i get to this point like i'll be done or like i'll be set life will be better and we almost like put things on hold till we get to that spot um and the same thing can go with our mental health i remember doing that when i was really struggling of being like oh like I don't want to date until I'm, like, really, really solid with my mental health. And, like, there's, like, some gray area there for sure. Um, But I also noticed that, like, that was a belief that also held me back. And so, like, there was a lot to be said about leaning into living the life and taking the risks that I wanted to take um, even when I was still struggling. And that was actually the thing that helped me, like, pop out over that.
2: Yeah, that that seems to make sense. Not to put things on hold, but... Continue as you're healing.
1: Yeah, and it seems like that could almost probably come a become a um, compulsive thought where it's like, well, I'll just wait for this. Well, I'll just wait for this to do this thing, you know. But then you're kind of going back into that loop again. So that's, yeah, important to recognize,
3: for sure. One hundred percent. Yeah, and it's a lot. There's so much to be said about just like allowing yourself to be worthy now. Like a lot of times, Mm. um, we almost view ourselves as the problem. And I noticed this with with the OCD and anxiety stuff like I was like man like I need to fix myself in order to do the things that I want to go do and it helps so much to stop viewing myself as the problem it's like I'm not a problem like I like these are just experiences I'm having and I can still go build whatever it is I want to go build and I can do that right now I don't have to like go meet some metric or do something like to declare my worthiness or whatever to go like live the life that I want to live And so that's one thing that I always encourage people to do is like, what are the things you want to be doing right now? Like if you woke up tomorrow and you had no anxiety, you had none of these issues, where would your time go? What's it like to just start taking some small steps in that direction? Yeah.
2: And it's hard because you, when it's you, you don't really think about everyone else. But if we all waited till we felt perfect or everything was perfect, like when nobody would do anything. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's not the reality. No. Yeah. Yeah. Life Mm -hmm. is
1: not like that. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Totally. Yeah. Well, awesome. I feel like you've given so many good tips already. Is there anything else that you could share with the listeners of like tips or, you know, ideas if they, if they're falling into some of these patterns?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing that comes to mind is kind of just how like our brains and our nervous systems work. And one of the biggest principles is that they don't understand logic, like our brains and our nervous systems do not understand logic and rationale. Like I can totally like think rationally about like, yeah, like this compulsive behavior is totally not rational. it's not healthy, it's this. That isn't going to change it. It's like I actually have to teach my brain and my body through my actions what is safe and what isn't. And so a lot of it is like really learning how to trust ourselves and so That's where like the first tips that I always give people are the mindfulness stuff that we've talked about a little bit. And like, I usually break that down into three components where you've got awareness is that first piece that we mentioned. So it's like, can I notice when I'm getting thoughts and emotions? Um, and then what that does is that puts us in a position to accept. That's the second piece. Can I actually accept that it's there? It's like, I don't have to like it, but can I accept it? And can I even accept that I don't like it? It's like, it's okay that this is uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Um, and then that next piece of mindfulness is just kind of like, like being able to choose a direction, if that makes sense. Like, can I bring some intention to whatever it is that I'm doing? Like, where do I want my intention to go? Can I put it there? And then in terms of like loosening that up, another kind of thing outside of the mindfulness that we talked about is that um, sense of just not being your thoughts and your emotions. Like, you, you don't have to resonate with them, and that's something you can practice doing. And, and for me, like building a solid meditation practice, especially in the beginning, like that helped so much because when I meditated, that's all I was doing. It was almost like if you're trained to be a runner, it was like the speed drill that you're doing to be a better runner. And so I was just sitting, focusing on those skills of like, what's it like to notice thoughts? Oh, I, my brain really wants to chase this one down, but I'm still going to let it just float by. And Mm so building those skills is so big. Um, and then that, that last piece is just, like, pick your values. Choose what you want your life to go towards. And, and you can do it at just, like, such a micro level. Like, what do I want? What are my values when I'm in a conversation? Even when I'm here, like, talking to you guys, like, I can totally just get caught up in, like, oh, the thing I just said, like, wasn't exactly what I wanted to say. <laughs> and I'm in my head thinking about what I'm going to say next, things like that. Or I can be like, no, I actually value just, like, listening to you guys and being able to just give up control on where the conversation is going. Right. I can let it go where it needs to go. And so in these small moments, we can look at those little compulsive behaviors and say, okay, what are the actual value based behaviors that I would want to do? So for me, like in a conversation, it's like, I would rather have my energy going into just listening and noticing what's there and then just letting whatever bubbles up after you guys are done talking, like, let it bubble up. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's going to be. That's okay. I can sit with that uncertainty. And we can do that for all these different areas of our lives is how do we want to show up? How do we want to show up at work? How do we want to show up with friends? How do we want to show up with family in our relationship? And what's it like to take a step towards that? And when we first do that, we're going to get the uncomfortable feelings. It's going to feel risky. And what can we do to really process that and allow that emotion to be there while we continue taking those steps? And that's that's like. Recovery in a nutshell.
2: Yeah, I love that. I was like, yeah, oh, that was a really good. Summary. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I'm oh. like, okay, I need to have those reminders. I know.
1: Cause... I'm almost excited to listen back to this and like take notes. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, it's really good. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Maybe um, you sent a quote to us. Um, maybe this is a good spot yeah. to talk about that quote.
3: Totally. Um, so that one, it's it's a quote by Viktor Frankl. Um, I can read it. Um, okay. It okay. comes from. Really, my all time favorite book, Man's Search for Meaning. Comes up a lot Such on a our podcast. Book.
1: It has come up, yeah, yep. but you can give a little background if you want, yeah.
3: Totally. So, yeah, I'll read it and then we can chat about it just okay. a little bit. Um, so, the, the quote says, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And for me, like, that was the key of like, can I create enough space? between when a thought or an emotion hits that I can actually make a choice. Hmm. And then with that choice, can I actually choose what's going to be good for me? Where I really want my life to go. And if we can just like loosen up the knot a little bit on that space, like that is what just like starts to make all the difference. And so if you can just start kind of like creating like, okay, like what's it like? Can I be curious when something hits? Can I just like move from total distaste for this like feeling or thought to just general curiosity. And it's like, it can still be uncomfortable just making that small pivot and creating that space to like make a little bit of a different decision that can make all the difference. And that's why I love that quote just because it's, it's so empowering. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's really good, and I actually haven't heard that one specifically referred
2: yeah, to. Yeah, we always kind of how you summed mm-hmm. it up—the like why we while we can't control everything that happens to us, we can learn to control how we respond. Yeah, which is the one I like kind of hear it more like that. But I love this actual quote because that space is the big part where you're saying like you can create yourself some space to like be curious. Why did I have that thought? How am, how am I going to react to that thought? Because I think sometimes our quick reactions are the reactions and aren't good but when we sit with it for a minute and kind of think it through, okay, I can't control that this happened. I can't um, change it, but I can control how I react and what my next step forward is going to be.
1: Yeah. And it's so cool to think you can apply it to so many different things. Cause like in his case, he's in a, you know, concentration, concentration camp. camp and trying to, you know, stay hopeful about life and, and, you know, creating that response probably from the horrible things that are happening to him to like what's that space between how am I going to, you know, but then to like the smaller day to day things like you're talking about that, that can overtake your life if you're not careful, you know? So anyway, that's so cool. I, yeah. I need to read that book.
2: It's a great book. You yeah. can borrow my copy. Yes. Yes. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> yeah. You should buy it. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one.
1: Awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Well, this love has
2: it. been great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been so interesting. And
2: yeah, I love the way you've put things that kind of put it in a different way that I've thought through them. Like, Mm -hmm. And it just seems, I don't know, like it makes more sense or it seems more almost like a simple way to.
1: Yeah. Like it feels really logical, but also I feel like, oh, wow. Like I kind of thought about things in a different way than I feel like I have before. So thanks for teaching us. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay, Very (laughs) cool. Glad to. Yeah. I love it. This this is, you know, what I eat up. So I'm so happy about, you know, the direction that I'm headed in terms of just like doing this, like this is what I want my career to be. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm so glad you guys have me on.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I know. It's been awesome. So yeah, um, at the end of the podcast, we always ask how you find beauty in life after going through your transitions. Mm
3: -hmm. Oh, that is such a good question. (laughs) Um, For me, it's, it's just like, like there's something that kind of like is, is beautiful. I feel like that happens when we start accepting emotions and especially the really challenging ones. Like, I have learned more about myself by being willing to sit with really, really tough emotions when things are really hard than I ever have when things are, like, just flowing easily. And, and for me, like, I think that that's really how I find beauty in life is, like, it's just discovering myself and other people and, like, discovering, like, who are we really? And that's, it's such a mysterious thing that I feel like watching that unfold in myself and then in clients and, and just in friends and family, like that is so amazing to me. And, and, and I think like, that's what all this stuff just kind of leads me to is like, it's this, this process of self-discovery mm. and, and becoming the people that we want to be. And there's, there's all kinds of things that come into that. Like my brain goes toward, like, I love nature. I love all these things, but those are all part of just like this natural being that I am and discovering that is such a beautiful process.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I love that. That's so good, yeah. We all could, yeah, take time to discover ourselves and then just, you know, discover other people and who they truly are and take the time for that, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I love how kind of like your individual passion for this, you know, in a roundabout way is how you find beauty in life, too. So I think it's cool, and I think that that comes up a lot. You know, as people, it kind of brings out, like, what really matters to them. Like, you're going back to your values, like you talked about, you know, so... That's awesome.
3: Yes. Yeah. yeah, 100%. I love it. Yeah, well, thank you.
2: I love just talking about, yeah, centering our values and kind of getting rid of that fear.
3: So. Yes. That's perfect.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time and Yeah. Yeah. Good luck yeah, with You're so
3: welcome. <laughs>
1: yeah, good luck with everything Yeah, with and, your school. You're almost yeah. done. That's so exciting. Yeah. You'll have to keep us updated. Yeah. To for to, real. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and so sure. let's, we're like still thinking about the conversation. Okay. So you can reach Nelson. Oh, yes. You want to, um, read, yeah, we'll tag him in the, um, description on our social media and everything, but it's at building Waves on Insta, TikTok, and Facebook. And then his website is www.buildingbrainwaves.com. So, and I love, like, you're constantly sharing just kind of like short, informative videos on your social media that I think are awesome. I, my kids don't have social media yet, but honestly, I was like, when they do, I'm going to be like, okay, hey, follow him. <laughs> there's a few accounts that I yeah. I just feel like are really good, you know, just for anyone to follow, but really helpful for, you know, I feel like anxiety is something that comes up a lot in, in the younger kids these days. So I think it's awesome that, you know, there's people out there sharing all these helpful things just in small doses even yeah, so it's awesome yeah
3: totally yeah and that's things like social media can totally be it can be a tool that we use for good yeah and so right like it's both so like on on either end whether we're creating or consuming yeah and so yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Love, There's some I love good to hear that you found value
1: yeah right exactly yeah there can if we go toward the good things there yes. we
2: can find them so
3: yeah. okay all thanks, right Nelson. yeah thanks yes thank you so much this has been awesome
2: Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and follow it along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews.
1: We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy.
0: Find a way to know myself all oh, my thoughts and mind again and begin to understand where to go. Now it's time to move along. Now it's time to move along. Take this journey as my own. Feel the strength right in my bones
3: All I want is to
0: believe Life is my own, life is my own I'll start again, the mind is free I'll take a chance, I won't be wrong Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this